1: because you are entering the no-whining world of January Jones.
0: Hello, everyone. I hope you're having a wonderful day. I'm January Jones, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast today. As you can see, my new brand is the Glitter Granny. We all wear hats as we go through life every day, and today I'm wearing my interview hat. <laughs> the nice thing about hats is then you don't have to fuss with your hair. <laughs> now for my listeners, let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered what happens when we die? This is something I think we've all wondered about. Have you ever met someone who experienced an NDE? That is a near-death experience. Can you imagine what it would be like to have the chance to find out more about our future after our death? Would you like to meet someone who will share his own NDE with us? Have you ever heard of a very, very famous, amazing book entitled Proof of Heaven, A Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Afterlife? If you can answer yes or maybe to any of these questions that I've asked, then you are in the right place, and I'd like to welcome you to January Jones Sharing Success Stories today. Now it's time. Rest, relax, go get some cheese, get some crackers, get a glass of wine, and you can join me in the No Wine Zone. Let me tell you a little bit about my guest today. My guest is an American neurosurgeon author. His book, Proof of Heaven, A Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Afterlife, describes his near-death experience that happened in 2008 under a medically induced coma when he was treated for meningitis. He asserts that the coma resulted in brain death, that consciousness is not only a product of the brain and that it permits access to an afterlife. My guest also authored the follow-up books most recently, Living in a Mindful Universe, Map of Heaven, and Seeking Heaven. It's my great pleasure to welcome to the show today, Dr. Evan Alexander III. Hello, Dr. Evan. How are you today?
2: Hello, January. I'm doing fine. How about you?
0: I'm doing great, and I'm so happy to have you with us. I've been looking forward to this interview. Uh, as I told you before we went on the air, I'm a great
2: fan of yours. You. We I'm looking forward to it, too, and I just want to correct one thing in your introduction, yes. and I don't know how this crept into the copy about my case, but uh-huh. you said a medically induced coma. The uh-huh. important point of my coma, it was, was not medication induced. Oh. I went deep into coma before anybody ever gave me any sedating drugs, and I came out of coma when when I was on a full complement of sedating drugs. So there's a myth out there in the uh, kind of materialist literature that tries to debunk my story that says it was medication-induced. And they're basically just completely missing why the scientific community takes the whole thing so seriously. And that is the damage to my brain from the meningitis, which also made it impossible for me to have any kind of dream or hallucination. That is the importance of it. If it were medication-induced uh not as nowhere near as many people would be paying attention to it okay well that's something
0: we need need to get corrected on wikipedia
2: (laughs) i've tried doing that I, i don't know why it keeps creeping in again but anyway
0: so thank you for correcting me on that very very important point uh before we begin our show just a question about how has the uh pandemic impacted uh your career and your writing and uh what do you have any uh pandemic stories to tell us
2: well mainly yeah i, I would say the pandemic uh played an amazing role in kind of our unfolding reality a, a lot of this work i do with my partner karen newell she's my life partner has been since 2011 she's the co-author of that book living to mind for universe and as soon as we realized, you know, back in March of 2020, that yeah. all these jobs we had going around and sharing uh, sharing this information with the world were being canceled because of the impending pandemic, she came up with a brilliant idea that every two weeks we would do an interview of one of our colleagues, you know, a, a, one of the leading scientific uh, investigators of consciousness or uh, experiencer who's very renowned for an extraordinary story. And those are all recorded and available for people at That's InnersanctumCenter.com. That's I-N-N-E-R SanctumCenter.com. And uh, to me, it, it was just her wisdom of appreciating, well, you know, we can't go around the world sharing our story, but let's share it anyway this way. And uh, so I was very happy that she came up with that idea. And uh, we're now gearing back up to, you know, giving live presentations around the world. Uh, but I think we need to learn a lesson from the pandemic. And a big lesson is that uh, the climate change is very, very real. We saw that as the world kind of cleared up with human activity diminished during the pandemic. The waters of Venice cleared. You could see the fish, the skies over uh, Nepal cleared, and you could from Kathmandu see Mount Everest and other major mountains, which you hadn't been able to see for a long time because of all the pollution. And by simply getting humans to back off for a little bit, the whole world started to show it can recover from our onslaught. And so my position now is uh, to try not to travel as much, do as much on the internet as I can, because Mm -hmm. flying around in jets and driving around in our cars is just adding to this horrific climate change problem, which we really need to take seriously and address now.
0: Oh, yeah. And, you know, that is definitely a positive outcome. And I think the fact that so many people agreed to wear masks and people were more careful about their interactions. As you know, we all jumped on Zoom and started our lives uh, on the internet, which has been, I think, kind of exciting. And a lot of people, as you are, are continuing to do that. Uh, So, you know, it was a very tragic situation, but actually there has been quite a bit of good that has come
2: out of it, don't you agree? Well, there's certainly good if we learn the lessons. You know, you've never done wrong in your life as long as you learn a lesson from the circumstance and then do better next time. Mm -hmm. Uh, If we just go back to status quo business as usual, we didn't learn a lesson. So Mm -hmm. I would urge all those uh, corporate leaders out there trying to insist that everybody get back in the office. Well, think about the, the climate change and all those cars commuting and all those jets flying around and let's back off that for a bit and try and use the Internet more for communication and uh, all these kinds of uh, uh, things and, and try to make this world a better place. We've got to take climate change seriously or it, we're going to have hell to pay just e- even in the next few years. Yeah. We used to think that was, you know, our children's or grandchildren's problem. Back yeah. when I was, you know, going through my education in the 70s and 80s, we knew that burning fossil fuels and, and biomass would going kind to of ultimately make the planet hotter and someday it would be unlivable. We just didn't realize how quickly it was going to happen. I mean, they knew this stuff in the early 20th century, uh, and yet we haven't responded appropriately. So I I would say, yes, let's learn our lessons and do the right thing moving forward. And don't insist that everybody come into the office and uh, commute and and fly around to go to all the meetings, but let's do more of it on the Internet.
0: Yes, yes. And uh, thank you for pointing out that wonderful lesson that we're all learning slowly but surely. Now, let's talk a little bit about uh, NDE, near-death experience. Prior to you having your own personal experience, had you ever heard about it? Had you ever met anyone? What was your knowledge about this?
2: I had heard occasional stories, Uh uh, you know, of NDEs and you know, I have been trained as a conventional materialist neuroscientist, trained in the kind of conventional uh, science of a, a Newtonian determinism. And even though many in that science claim to understand, you know, quantum physics and what it adds to the picture, uh, I knew enough about quantum physics to know uh, where it was confusing and, and didn't necessarily see all the incredibly important places where it intersects with our understanding of the nature of reality and the nature of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Basically, I thought these stories were, you know, tricks of the dying brain. It's just a hallucination. Pay it no mind. Um, But obviously, I've learned a tremendous amount. And I realized that that Newtonian deterministic science that pretends that our existence is birth to death and nothing more is completely ignorant of the quantum informed reality of the study of consciousness in the modern era, where the evidence is completely overwhelming. That the afterlife and reincarnation are completely real. Just get used to it. The <laughs> fact that most of us don't have memories of that is because of something called program forgetting, where we tend to have some processes that that cover up our memories. So, for example, the uh, Ian Stevenson and Jim Tucker, who at UVA have worked for six decades on you know over 2,700 cases of past life memories in children suggested for reincarnation, will tell you, harvest the memories before age six or seven. Because after that, all of us tend to forget past lives and between lives. So uh, we really need to pay a lot more attention to what children tell us about uh, kind of those between life and past life uh, uh, you know realms and, and the importance of them to our understanding of ourselves and of, of humanity at large.
0: No, you know, I'm so interested in your topic and, and I am such a believer of your topic because I have been fortunate enough myself in my life to uh, have some incredible dreams where I actually receive communications from other people who have passed on, mm-hmm. who I loved, who I was delighted to hear from. But, you know, it's not an easy thing to talk about, is it?
2: No, it's not. But the interesting thing is the more you study these kinds of cases, and, and here uh, bringing up specifically after-death communications as another category of experience, you mm-hmm. find that the numbers are quite large. You know, probably something like uh, 60% of people in, in North America and in Europe uh, have experienced some form of an after-death communication which they thought to be good enough evidence for them of the reality of the ongoing existence of their loved one who had left the physical plane and left the physical body. Mm-hmm. So the numbers are there hugely. And, of course, now the me before coma, as one of those card-toting materialist neuroscientists who admittedly you know, didn't understand enough about quantum physics to know what it was telling us about consciousness,
1: mm-hmm. I
2: would have tended to say, you know, that's a hallucination. That's wishful thinking. But I now know that there are plenty of examples where the information uh, is absolutely unknown to the recipient. uh, And then you can show in many of those cases how uh, that intervening spirit, the loved one, uh, basically revealed something to them Mm -hmm. that absolutely proved the reality of their ongoing connection. In fact, Mm -hmm. I would say often after I would give talks on my proof of heaven story, which started two and a half years before the book came out. But I'd often have people come up to me afterwards, and they'd say, I've never told anybody this before, but. And mm-hmm. then they'd share a story with me that was absolutely world-changing and revolutionary. Yeah. And hadn't told anybody. And that's part of the problem. That's one of the reasons I wrote the book Proof of Heaven is to take the lid off. Yeah. You know, nurses have always been smart enough to kind of get this. They're the ones who are there when the patients leave the physical world, and they and the families have witnessed things that
1: were mm-hmm. inexplicable.
2: Uh, usually, the doctors are not still hanging around, and uh, I can speak for myself, um, <laughs> you know, but nurses would try and tell me these stories, too. Yeah. And I just, no, 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 the brain creates consciousness. That's impossible. I now know that all the evidence really points very clearly to this profound truth of the reality of the afterlife and that our souls come back again in this process of reincarnation. Um, But that the most important thing is our connection with loved ones. That part is inviolable. That part is absolutely the basic structure of all this. There's nothing more important than the binding force of love, our connection with loved ones, and that is preserved beyond the death of the physical body. And this is where I think humanity needs to wake up because the lessons from NDEs, which have been coming back to us for thousands of years now, are very clear. Mm-hmm. That we're really all in this together. In many ways, as, as we point out in our book, Living in a Mind for the Universe, we're sharing the one mind, the God mind of the universe. That's something we all come in connection with when we die and we're kind of liberated from the physical body and brain back into that incredible uh, loving center of oneness. Uh, before we come back into this world and then have program forgetting. So yeah. that by the time we're six or seven years old, we don't remember between lives and past lives, and that has a purpose. It gives us skin in the game to kind of buy into this, or at least our current level of evolution, uh, I guess we need that skin in the game. But the reality is humanity is waking up to enough to realize the deep truth to all this, and the profound lessons coming out of the conscious uh, science of consciousness studies is really one of one mind, and the mm-hmm. brain working as a uh, what's called a uh, reducing valve or a filter or a transceiver to allow us to serve as a focus for an eddy current of consciousness from the primary primordial mind. But ultimately we're all connected through that mind. And that is something shown to us, for example, in the life review of near-death experiences.
0: Yes, I do want to talk about that. Before we go there, we're going to take a short break. So if you are a whiner or you know someone who whines, do listen in. This is for you.
1: Lately, there's a whining epidemic in our world. People are even whining about whining. Are you sick and tired of listening to everyone whining all the time? So was January Jones, the author of Thou Shall Not Whine, the 11th Commandment, that reached number one at Amazon.com. Ms. Jones based her book on a survey of the top 10 things that people whine about at all ages and all stages of life. January is a success coach that can tell you how to help others when you buy thou shall not whine the 11th commandment you'll find out what people whine about and how to stop them from whining this is the perfect gift book to give or get for any occasion
0: Welcome back with my guest, Dr. Evan Alexander. Dr. Evan, could you please share with my listeners your contact information, your website, and anything else you would like them to know so that they can get a hold of you?
2: Yes. Yeah, so well, the website is evanalexander.com. That's E B E N Alexander.com. Uh, and I would especially recommend the blog postings, the recommended reading list, which has a lot of hot links to scientific papers. And is categorized in a very useful fashion. Um, and also the, uh, the FAQ page has a lot of, uh, there are many questions that people kind of come in with, general questions, that are pretty easily and in, in, in a straightforward fashion answered on that FAQ page. So I recommend that. Uh, and then also, in addition to EvanAlexander.com, many people have, have heard how I've spent the last decade returning to my NDE through meditation. And I use differential frequency brainwave entrainment, a very powerful technique for uh, going deep into conscious awareness and out into the mind of the universe. And that's called Sacred Acoustics. So I would encourage people to learn more at sacredacoustics.com. Now, full mm-hmm. disclosure, that is the website of my life partner, Karen Newell, uh, who is also the co-author of the third book, Living in a Mind for the Universe. Uh, but she has a tremendous amount of wisdom about spiritual matters and using differential frequency brainwave entrainment for deep exploration of consciousness. So her website, sacredacoustics.com, is a very valuable resource for kind of all manner of information to help people on that kind of journey. And then, as I mentioned a bit earlier, innersanctumcenter.com is a beautiful site for uh, those free interviews that we did for a year and a half during the pandemic every two weeks with people who we would have been seeing at meetings and presenting around the world, but now everything was canceled because of pandemic. So Karen had the brilliant idea that we would do these interviews and post them for free for the world to uh, to use. And I think they help people get up to speed. They realize not just Evan Alexander and Karen Newell, but they're There are a lot of other people with tremendous experience in conscious exploration and the science of consciousness who fully support our work and that's what those interviews cover
0: okay and then we're having that information scroll below on the screen i've been to uh, evanalexander.com incredible website once you're there if you have questions you'll find answers it's also uh, as he just said a great place for resources And for people who have gone through this, it is such a wonderful, positive affirmation to find a website where you can go and connect and realize that you're not alone. Other people have experienced this. Now, it's been 14 years since it happened for you. Could you briefly give my listeners a little summary of the meningitis situation and how this all came about for you?
2: Right. Um, well, it all, it started early in the morning, uh, November 10th, 2008. Sudden back pain, sudden headache, uh, lapse into consciousness, grand mal seizures, and then my family uh, called 911, and the EMTs came and hustled me off to the Lynchburg General Hospital Emergency Room. Now, mm-hmm. from my family's perspective and doctor's perspective, I was just deathly ill. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a severe gram-negative bacterial meningoencephalitis uh, that was one of the worst that many of these doctors had ever seen. Uh, And in fact, there's a medical case report on my medical records written by three doctors who were not involved in my care, but fascinated by my recovery. That came out in in September 2018, Journal of Nervous and Mental Diseases, Dr. Serbi Khanna, Lauren Moore, and Bruce Grayson. For anybody who wants to read that case report, they go much further than I did in the book Proof of Heaven to prove that my brain was far too ill to come up with any kind of dream or hallucination, much less... The Mm -hmm. most profound, detailed, meaningful spiritual experience I'd ever had, which is what exactly happened. And at a time when all the medical details showed my brain was at its very worst. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, that that case report, they were challenged by the scientific peer reviewers. How do you uh, explain this uh, recovery? It's unprecedented in the medical literature. And they Mm -hmm. said because he had a near-death experience that he was granted this incredible uh, full recovery, which happened over about two months or so. Anyway, so that's, that's kind of the big picture. Yeah. Uh, seven days in coma due to this meningitis uh, and was not expected to live. In fact, my doctors thought I had a 10% chance of survival early in the week, 2% at the end of the week, no chance of survival. That's why they held a conference on that Sunday morning, day seven, recommending stopping the antibiotics and letting me go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, it was soon after that I started coming back to this world uh, mm-hmm. And I was trying to share the spiritual story of where i had been. Uh-huh. My doctors would just tell me, well, you were very sick. We don't even know how you're coming back to us. But you can forget about it because a dying brain plays all kinds of tricks. And that's why initially I assumed, because I was still two months away from having a full return of my neuroscientific knowledge, and also I was months away from having fully reviewed my medical records. But uh-huh. I took I their word for it, you know, that – Dying yeah. green plays all kinds of tricks. So that extraordinary journey I had, um, you know, had no explanation initially. But but over time, I've come up with the explanation, which has which is fully supported by the scientific community about this journey not being brain related at all. I was basically getting my brain out of the way. But and, and just to briefly summarize for those who haven't read the book Proof of Heaven, uh, important to state that I was amnesic. Through this entire journey, I had no memories of Evan Alexander's life, no language, no knowledge of Earth, humanity, the universe. And that was the empty slate that was necessary for some of the profound lessons that I was to learn from the experience. Wow. It all started in a primitive course on responsive realm that I call the Earth or my view. But I was rescued from that by a slowly spinning white light that came and worked as a portal that took me up into this brilliant ultra real gateway valley. Uh, and that is, you know, the intersection of kind of the earthly realms and the spiritual realms. And from, I was a speck of awareness on a butterfly wing, millions of other butterflies. I mean, I go into great description of all this and proof of having it in many talks that I've given. So I, I don't know how much you want right now, but important to point out that the central message of my journey was delivered to me in that Gateway Valley by this beautiful young woman on the butterfly wing. Sparkling mm-hmm. eyes, high cheekbones, high forehead. She never said a word, never had to telepathically our minds were melted. And her message to me, I think is a central message I was to bring back to this world at large. You are deeply loved and cherished forever. You have nothing to fear. You are cherished. And um, and that was just the beginning. And then all of it unfolded. I went even further. Uh, It turns out that angelic choirs that were fueling incredible festivities in that perfect uh, kind of gateway valley world were also fueling another portal to higher and higher levels. And I remember seeing all four-dimensional space-time collapsing down, all of that spiritual realm with a whole different ordering of causality that I call deep time or meta-time. That's what allows you to have a life review where you can see your birth, your death, and everything in between all at once, because you're in a higher temporal ordering that allows for that kind of earth time to be fully fleshed out. It's a higher dimensional concept in, in modern science. But anyway, okay. so um, then.
0: When let me ask you, so when you came back, you said you had amnesia, but then gradually did you go back and start remembering your life? To you, how did Let's it work? clarify
2: this? The amnesia was for my life before. Oh, and so then when I woke up, you know, day seven of coma, I start waking up. I didn't even recognize loved ones at the bedside. My brain was still so wrecked from the Uh meningitis and amnesia, so active. My mother, my sisters, my sons, they're right around me, but I had no idea who they were. That gives you an idea of how deep and far I had to go. Now, it all came back pretty quickly. My recognition of them and childhood memories and language started coming back over hours and days. Uh, All my semantic knowledge of physics, cosmology, neuroscience came back over about two months. But Uh you know, I was trying to unravel this mystery The thing that was always crystal clear in my mind were the memories from the deep spiritual journey, the near-death experience itself. In fact, when I first woke up, that's the only thing I knew was where I had just been and the reality of that experience. I went in and out of a a paranoid delusional nightmare in -hmm. the 36 hours after my coma. I don't remember that the psychotic delusional stuff, but I remember clear as a bell the, the uh, spiritual journey that happened during the coma. Uh, and that to me is the amazing thing, is that the, the spiritual aspect is the part that is writ large in your memory. This is why it changes people's lives forever. You come back from an NDE, you're not the same person. you greatly matured into a higher soul. And um, and of course, of course you, it helps you to at least have the pathway to go that way if you're, if you're open enough to it. So,
0: And of course, when you come back, the great gift, that you have received is that you're no longer fearful about the afterlife. As a matter of fact, I felt like almost resentful that I came back.
2: (laughs) That that is a good point that a lot of people can feel resentful. Uh, But I think that's why it's so important to stress the, the fact that reincarnation is absolutely a big part of this. So people don't start thinking, oh, well, if that world is so great and I'm miserable in this world, I'm just going to kill myself and go to that world. That never works because suicide, <laughs> all you do is repackage the issues that challenged you in this life for the next incarnation. So it's best to go on and get the work done and grow as a soul while you're here. Yeah. So that you don't have to repeat this stuff the next go round. You can simply move on to the higher level classes all the way up till, you know, till you get to that oneness with the divine as all of humanity progresses towards this point of of deeper understanding.
0: What a gift, and I know why you were chosen, because of your scientific ability to explain this and to write about it. We're going to take a break right now, and you know it's been 60 years since the assassination of John Kennedy. If you're wondering who killed Kennedy, here's your answer.
1: Let me ask you a question. Are you still wondering who killed Kennedy? Over 50 years later, the assassination is still a mystery. It is unfinished business for our country. Now, get ready for a theory that you've never heard before but will make more sense than any other conspiracy theory that you've ever heard in the past. January Jones speaks the unspeakable in her book, Jackie, Ari, and Jack, The Tragic Love Triangle, connecting Jackie and Aristotle Onassis romantically prior to JFK's assassination. Did you know that Are was Jackie's guest in the White House during the JFK funeral? He was the only non-family member who was invited by Jackie to stay there during the funeral. Aristotle Onassis was one of the wealthiest men in the world with the means, the motive, and the money to order an assassination that was the perfect crime of the last century. Are needed class and Jackie needed cash. They were perfect for each other. Now, what is Camelot? It is but another tragic love triangle. Jackie, Ari, and Jack is available at JanuaryJones.com, Amazon.com, and Audiobooks.com, read by Ms. Jones.
0: Welcome back with the amazing Dr. Evan Alexander. Tell me, how did this affect your family? What was their reaction uh, to all of this? How did you communicate what had happened to you?
2: Well, a lot of that came, you know, after the fact, after waking up from the coma, and um, in my interactions with them uh, ever since then. I would say my sons have been very important in the journey. Uh, my older son Evan the Fourth was twenty when I went into coma. My younger son Bond was ten. Uh, and they both have grown tremendously from this experience. For one thing, they're both huge fans of using binaural B brainwave entrainment for meditation, inducing lucid dreams for uh, studying, all that kind of thing. They, they use meditation uh, in a dramatic, uh, regular fashion. Uh, they also realize that there's nothing to fear about death. I mean, mm-hmm. they dive deeply into this. Uh, my former spouse, uh, Holly, I think uh, she grew through it, although I would say she was more advanced than I was before my coma, uh, spiritually speaking. I mean, she's a very spiritually advanced person. But I think she grew a lot. Her her kind of knowledge and understanding of this world also grew through my experience. And then a lot of our friends and family, uh, I think, in many ways, were transformed uh, because of the power of this experience. And what it has really shown it clearly transformed me uh, completely, a 180 degree flip from who I was before. I'm now much more aligned with the scientific community. Some people think, "Oh, what do your uh, skeptical scientific colleagues make of all this?" Well, mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is, from a scientific perspective, my story is, is is the clean and pure demonstration of primacy of mind that, in many ways, so many of them were uh, kind of seeking and looking for and wondering about. Yeah. Uh, but in many ways, it kind of brings the modern scientific story into focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Privacy of mind and how the brain is really a transceiver or filter, but it's not the primary source of consciousness. And I often say we're conscious—we're conscious in spite of our brain, uh, which uh, I think I'm paraphrasing a good friend of mine, Dr. Larry Dossi. I think he said that first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful uh, quote, kind of showing us the brain is not there to generate experience; it gets out of the way, um, especially for the most extraordinary experiences. For example. Uh, people who use psychedelic substances, magic mushrooms, psilocybin, uh, LSD, DMT. Multiple scientific papers over the last decade have shown that when you take those substances, the brain goes dark. No part of it gets more active. Uh, it's simply getting out of the way. And when I read that first paper in 2012 from Imperial College in London about that, that uh, functional M- MRI showed the brain default mode network to basically dissolve under the influence of these uh, plant medicines, Mm -hmm. I knew exactly what they were talking about. That's what happened to me when meningitis took my brain offline. Uh, I got to witness full-blown, you know, consciousness in its uh, uh, primordial state, uh, which is what I've tried to duplicate with meditation ever since that time uh, Mm -hmm. and often have, although I've never gotten to the ultimate, that ultra reality, that sense of way too real to be real. That was part of my journey. I've not, not achieved that meditation. But maybe I just have to wait until the next time my brain is that incapacitated on my way out of my brain and body uh, to get that kind of ultra reality.
0: Okay. Now, what would you tell people who are wanting to have this experience and uh, they're trying to figure out how to go about it? I know your answer would be meditation. What do you say to people who want to try LSD?
2: Well, I think I think that those substances uh, can contribute to a spiritual journey, but mm-hmm. they also have tremendous kind of toxicity and side effects. And if you go in with any kind of um, spiritual, mental, or emotional imbalance, those substances can really tip you over the deep end. Uh, so I would caution people not to rely on them. Uh, in fact, uh, it's uh, you know important to point out. That There's some recent work, For I'll give some examples, of uh, using psilocybin, magic mushrooms, to treat people for severe addictions, nicotine, opiates, alcohol, and also debilitating fear of death and cancer patients. Roland Griffiths at uh, Johns Hopkins has done a lot of this work, and it's, it's fascinating, but with one dose of psilocybin, we're not talking about taking these drugs on a regular basis, but mm-hmm. one dose in a proper therapeutic setting can lead to a, a 80% long-term reduction in the addiction propensity or in um, fear of death in cancer patients. Uh, it's a very effective treatment. It's, it's probably more so than just about anything else available. And what I would argue is happening there is you're basically connecting with your higher soul. And this is the goal in meditation. It's a common goal is your ego mind is not your ally. You're not using your little voice in your head to think your way to the answers. You know, so many of us think that's who we are. So the running stream of thoughts in our head. That mm-hmm. is not your consciousness. Your consciousness is your awareness of that. But your soul has far greater wisdom than that teeny little ego mind. In fact, the ego mind is often totally wrapped up in the addictions that can mm-hmm. be solved by these uh, using a catalyst to kind of give you connection to your kind of higher soul and that primordial mind. And I would argue that you can accomplish that simply through meditation alone, through using binaural beat brainwave entrainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, that same argument has been made by Christopher Bache, the ACHE. He wrote a book called Dark Night, Early Dawn. Okay. Christopher Bache is well known for doing high dose LSD work. He did 72 high dose LSD trips over decades wow. uh, and, and wrote a book called Diamonds from Heaven that I really like that gave his lessons to the world. But don't think, and especially when you read that book, you'll realize this is a very traumatizing thing to go through. So individual seekers don't need to torment themselves with all those psychedelics to get there. And I must say I'm saddened when I see people who use ayahuasca and they, they end up getting so kind of buried in the high that they <laughs> seem to have lost their kind of spiritual journeying. Uh, and this is, again, why I, I think that it's important to point out that meditation alone can be a a very successful way. And Chris Bates, in that book, Dark Night, Early Dawn, in Chapter 5, he does a head-to-head comparison of his high-dose LSD work and all the spiritual realities it showed him with Robert Monroe's use of differential frequency brainwave entrainment. Um, And and he basically, Bates concludes at the end of that chapter that they're both very valid and powerful ways to get at the same deep spiritual truths. And I would argue that for most of us, it's far safer not to just rely on the psychedelics. You might use the psychedelic for a touch point. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but I, you know, is part of the whole issue of my NDE, uh, people like Sam Harris said, well, Alexander's NDE sounds like a DMT trip, nothing more. And mm-hmm. so to answer the scientific question, I ended up uh, working with a professional and doing a dose escalation of uh, 5-methoxy-DMT, which is the most powerful form of DMT. In fact, it's probably the most powerful hallucinogen known. Wow. In that that study, what I can tell you is what I witnessed under the influence of the drug was like looking through a tiny keyhole at the spiritual realm, but it was nothing like the rich panoramic penthouse view that I had from a natural, organic, near-death experience. And I would argue you're much better off trying to duplicate and have your own NDE through meditation than to do it through psychedelic substances. But I'm very glad that the scientific research on those substances is now very active because they're helping us to realize the brain does not create those phenomena at all that you have under the influence. In fact, you're turning the brain off, getting it out of the way. Uh, And also, of course, um, The spiritual insight that some people like Christopher Bates has had, I think others might have. Now, I usually don't recommend the psychedelics, but I've I've Mm -hmm. softened a bit on thinking that uh, maybe for some people they're an okay catalyst to put into the mix of their spiritual journey. But by and large, I would caution people, uh, meditation is a far more powerful, effective, and safe way to do this over a long period of time dedicated meditation, not just, you know, I'm going to try a deep meditation for two hours and if it works fine, if it doesn't, I'll do something else. You got to keep doing it. And uh, going within has a payoff uh, in your health and in your healing, your wholeness, your kind of sense of love, your sense of connection with the universe. Meditation helps tremendously. Right. I'm a giant proponent of that. And it's uh, sacredacoustics.com. You can learn a lot of the details of the kind of uh, maneuvers you can do to uh, take full advantage of meditation. But first and foremost, what you're doing is you're acknowledging the voice in your head, your ego mind, is little more than your annoying roommate. That's what Michael Singer calls it in his book, The Untethered Soul. So your voice in your head is not your consciousness. And there is far greater wisdom by going out in the universe. And it's kind of paradoxical. But when you go within uh, mind, you're actually going out into the mind of the universe. and I think that's a very important thing for people to acknowledge and recognize and the power of meditation
0: that's interesting information about uh, it being helpful for people with addictions and fear of death Um, have you ever met a priceless personality this next spot is about priceless personalities who have been on this show like Dr. Alexander have you ever met someone who was unforgettable Someone who has touched your heart and soul. People who have faced difficult problems. People who have struggled to find solutions. People who fearlessly shared their stories. People who have not only informed you, but inspired you. People who have priceless personalities. I have been fortunate to host an internet radio talk show called January Jones Sharing Success Stories. And it has been my privilege to interview hundreds of guests. My guests have shared their stories, their struggles, their secrets, and their successes in their own words. In this book, we're talking about people dealing with problems such as incest, molestation, runaway kids, child abuse, drug abuse, polygamy, unemployment, scandal, and starting over. Then there are my guests dealing with difficult physical struggles such as blindness, cancer, and birth defects that are beyond traumatic. My guests have all been exciting, eclectic, and energizing. They have amazed, amused, and even astonished me. I have adored getting to meet them, and I adore sharing them with you. Welcome back with Dr. Alexander. Let's talk about now about life challenges, free will, death, fear, love. You know, everything in the world seems like it's so chaotic. It's such a mess. And why would God create and put us in such a world of conflict and discord?
2: Well, I think this is how we grow. I mean, one thing that I realized very strongly from my experience is I came back embracing the challenges and hardships in life. When I look back over my life, I realized that the times when I seemed to be most challenged and kind of discomforted by the situation usually led to the the greatest degree of growth and understanding and kind of soul transformation. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I am one to definitely embrace the hardship uh, and the challenges in life and come to see them as gifts when properly viewed from a higher soul perspective that they can allow us to grow into the soul we came here to be uh, So i'm, I'm a, a big fan of that i will certainly say that my meditative practice has greatly contributed to my kind of deeper understanding of those hardships uh i often use kind of a higher soul to higher soul communication if i'm in conflict with another person to try and come with the best and highest uh, uh outcome that benefits uh, Uh, the higher good. I mean, for me, that is really what you shoot for. And that's what helps any of us as souls dealing with this world to maintain some sanity in the face of the kind of challenges and hardships. Realize we're all in this together. And that ultimately, it's about the more we can manifest love, unconditional love is the ideal form, that is love without attaching conditions to it. But kindness, uh, compassion, mercy, acceptance of others, embracing all realizing we're all in this together we're here to take care of the least the last and the lost all members of society this is really uh, the kind of maturation and growth that can come from from this kind of awakening of humanity to this deeper truth of the primacy of mind uh, and that binding force of love is a healing force at the very core of our souls that interconnects all of us and allows us to see beyond the madness and the political Uh, posturing and polarization of our current era, and realize, no, let's all see a higher good here, see how we can help each other. Uh, And the world becomes a far more comfortable, organic, and naturally evolving place, Uh, when we're not always so kind of conflicted against each other.
0: Um, Let me ask you, so many people are afraid of death. So many people are afraid of going to hell. When you went over on the other side for your seven-day visit, did you see hell?
2: I don't believe there is any hell. I think hell might come from uh, a life review. Like The the main thing that uh, has come out scientifically about life reviews uh, is that they're often um, depicted as the events witnessed through the emotional uh, eyes of the recipient, that is, not our life review. When you go through a life review, you experience how you impacted other people and you feel it from their perspective. So if you've been busy handing out a lot of pain and suffering to others in the life review, you're on the receiving end of that. And I think people who have done a tremendous amount of handing out pain and suffering, don't like being on the receiving end. And that's what they perceive as kind of hell. Uh, You know, when you review the NDE literature, hellish or distressing NDEs are maybe three to five percent. Some people will claim higher, maybe 10 percent. I do think they're underreported. But the reality is they can lead to the very same positive changes that positive life reviews do. People still come back knowing that there is a loving force, a God force at the core of the universe, knowing that they should treat people with love and respect and kindness. So the negative NDEs can have very positive effects. Uh, It's interesting to me that in our kind of self-centered egotistical culture, you have more of those negative NDEs that so many of them go right into the sense of loving oneness and connection with others, Um, which is, you know, 90% of people who've had near death experiences and it doesn't matter if they were agnostic atheist, going in, they come away believing in a loving benign a uh, helpful force at the core of the universe a god force and these are the people who've been there so why don't we pay a little more attention to people who've been there uh, as opposed to those who claim they've never been there and that there can't be anything to report about it uh, no when when you've been there there is something to report about it that's why i wrote the book proof of heaven was to help take the lid off the medical profession is waking up to this i remember we were at a conference in belgium in 2018, and a neuroscientist there pointed out that the number of scientific papers worldwide addressing near-death experiences had quadrupled from uh, before 2012, when Proof of Heaven came out, to after 2012. Uh, the annual rate really went up four times, and they attributed that to the book. I would say the book had a tremendous resonance with people. I heard from thousands of people mm-hmm. who had similar experiences. And that, to me, simply affirmed very strongly my kind of reporting of it and my interpretation of it. And there was something that was resonating with these people, and that's why the book Proof of Heaven is published in 40 languages. It's been, uh, uh, you know, it was on the New York Times nonfiction bestseller list at number one position for 42 weeks back in 2012 and 13. So it obviously struck a chord with people. But the important thing to understand, I mean, you said earlier that I was chosen for this. I wouldn't say that at all. I would just say that all ears contribute to the story because I've learned tremendous amounts from hundreds of other near-death experiencers that I've talked with. And that's where the real big storyline comes from is consolidating all these stories. Uh You know, there's no one story that really holds all the power. It's uh the whole bunch of them. It's a bunch of arrows. They cannot be broken. Uh, and, Sadly...
0: And- Time for us to go. But I can see why you are so popular. You're so positive. You are so helpful for people trying to figure out everything. And thank you so much for coming on our show. I hope our listeners have gotten your message, which is a powerful message. And it's a hopeful message. And it's a message we should all pursue Thank you everyone for entering the no wine zone. And please share this story. We end our show with everyone you know. Remember, you need to stop whining and then you need to start smiling. And thank you, Dr. Evan. Well,
1: and if that doesn't
0: you. work, everyone, then thank you can you. just... Thank
2: you for this out there.
0: Oh, wonderful. And if it, the stop whining doesn't work, then you can just start eating chocolate. Lots and lots of chocolate. Thank you. And I hope you'll come back and visit us again.
2: I'd love to. That'd be great. Wonderful. Especially with Karen. I think that'd be worthwhile.
0: For Just sure. Definitely bring her.
2: <laughs> All right. We will for sure. Thank you. Okay.
1: We want to thank you for listening to January Jones Sharing Success stories. Always remember Ms. Jones' personal mantra. If you can think it, you can do it. That's what all of our guests have done with their lives, and so can you. You are the ultimate success coach in your own life. All you need to do will be to start sharing your own story with your family and friends. We hope that our guest stories will encourage you to explore an equation in your future that will combine your creativity, plus connecting with others will enable you to be successful too. Always remember... Your passion plus your purpose will equal prosperity as you explore the wonderful world of January Jones.